be a day that some of you have been looking towards because it's the final day of the series that we've been on all summer. So you're like, finally, we can move on to something next week, right? Well, we will be moving on to something next week, and uh, I'm excited about the series we're stepping into next week. It's uh, entitled just simply Called and Committed, uh, and we're going to be talking about world-changing discipleship. And we're going to focus on this pathway journey that we're called to in following Jesus Christ. So that's next week. But today we're finishing up the fruit of the spirit. We've been talking about the nine flavors over the course of the summer. But there's one fruit. That fruit is the Holy Spirit. He is, lives within us. And the fruit he produces is found in Galatians 2. I mean, Galatians 5. And it's simply this. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, here's your participation. We're just going to declare that out loud because we all need those flavors of fruit in our life, right? So here we go. Let's read it together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, comma, joy, comma, peace, comma, 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 now, self-control, what do you think? Was there something purposeful in the Apostle Paul putting that one at the end? This is another one of those fruits where I'm like, really? Could somebody else speak on that this morning, right? We're going to talk about self-control. And I think it's a good subject, especially as we sort of launch into the fall. We're getting life realigned, whether it's work, environment, school, whatever it may be. Do you have self-control? You don't have to answer that out loud. I just want you to think about it. How many times during the course of the week do you simply say something like, well, I can't do this. I can't lose weight. I can't keep the house clean. I can't keep a job. Why can't I get more done with my life? Why can't I break a bad habit? Or why can't I get out of debt? Or why can't I see my life change in some ways? And you feel like you're driving a car that the steering wheel's not working. And you're careening into a corner and you're out of control. I can't control this thing. You know, how many of you have different reoccurring dreams in your life? Do you? I, one of those dreams is, is I'm in school again. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that I forget that I have a class at the end of the semester, and I was supposed to be going to it the whole time, and it was important for me to graduate. It's a weird dream. I have this other weird dream that my car, the brakes are not working. And I'm pumping my, does anybody else have that kind of dream? And I'm like, why is this car not stopping, right? And you feel totally helpless and out of control. Well, maybe that's not a dream in your life. Maybe that's a dream, uh, the dream is reality, where your life doesn't have a lot of control. And you're sort of careening in one direction or the other. Proverbs uh, 25, 28 says this, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, walls and cities were for protection. And so if you're lacking self-control, there's a lack of protection. 1 Corinthians 9:25 says this, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with a purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, this is Paul personally, I myself may be disqualified. 
What's the adage they say? No pain, no gain. A disciplined life ties into this whole understanding of self-control. And if we don't have it, then we're not going to see some of the rewards and the benefits that rightfully we desire to see happen with our lives. You know, it's interesting. The um, whole subject of self-control, self-discipline, it goes into all kinds of dynamics. Sports is one of those. You could see it in uh, other aspects of teams that maybe are on workplace environments, uh, the military. If you don't have self-control, you're not going to accomplish anything. There was something going around on Facebook this week, and it answered a question I've always had. I'm 56 years old, but nobody ever told me the answer to this question. And the question was, why are you supposed to make your bed in the morning? Did you see this? There was uh, the commander in, 19, uh, in, uh, in 2014, there was the commander of the special ops troops that actually uh, made the Osama bin Laden raid. He was speaking at the University of Texas, I believe, for their graduation ceremony. And uh, he started into explaining, you know, some of the key uh, pieces of advice that he would give them, uh, which would bring success. And this was one of them. His name is William uh, McCavron. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished. I should say this over here to the kids. I should look this way. (laughs) Parents, you're going to love this. You really are. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day, he said. It will give you a small sense of pride. And it will encourage you to do another task and another and another. And by the end of that day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made, that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. I never thought, why do I need to make my bed? Just do it. Make your bed. Keep your room clean, right? Well, no. There's some self-discipline, some self-control in that simple act of getting out of bed. My wife's not in here. Is she did that good? All right. Uh, That helps you move forward in life. But self-control, if there isn't self-control in some of the ways that you're careening out of control... You need to get it together in one sense because it's going to handicap you and limit you as you move forward. The Greek philosopher Epictetus said this. He said, no man is truly free until he masters himself. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You know, Samson in the Bible, he had a lot of strength. But what was his downfall? He didn't have control in the area of his passions and his desires, and it led to his downfall. Could it be that you have tons of potential, but there's the lack of self-control in some places that are going to allow you to not live up to the full potential of what all God has for you in your life? Um, And so people will try all kinds of things. They'll try pills and therapy and seminars and and uh, other kinds of uh, gadgets, and they'll try to, you know, have resolutions and do surges, whatever it may be, to try to get things controlled. But what we're going to be talking about today is the ability to allow God to give you self-control, but it's a step forward. There was a study done a number of years ago. I actually think it was back in the 1960s. And uh, in 1960, uh, there was a um, uh, a professor of... Um, 
by the name of Walter Michel. He was an Ivy League professor. He was at Harvard, and I think he was at Stanford. He had a really bad problem with smoking and cigarettes, and he knew how bad it was, and he could not kick his three-pack-a-day habit. All right, And that's one of the things that led him to study this issue of self-control and the human being. And he began studying it in little kids. And he did what was called the marshmallow test. Have any of you heard of this? He became known actually as the marshmallow man. They would took a bunch of five-year-olds and they've watched these kids through the years. They took five-year-olds back then and they put them in a room and put a marshmallow on the table. And they said, now, if you... Wait 15 minutes, and you don't eat that marshmallow. You can have two marshmallows. We're going to leave the room. The marshmallow is going to stay there, but you just wait 15 minutes. And, and if you can't wait 15 minutes, then ring this bell. So they did this experiment with all different kinds of kids, different ways. And they um, saw that some kids, they just couldn't do it. It's like, I need to eat the marshmallow. Sometimes they did it with a cookie, sometimes a pretzel. And uh, some kids were pretty good at the self-control of not eating it. So they tracked these kids through the years, and this is what the New Yorker says. If you make your, uh, no, where is it? I'm sorry, famously preschoolers who waited longest for the marshmallow went on to have higher SAT scores than the ones who couldn't wait. In later years, they were thinner, earned more advanced degrees, used less cocaine, and coped better with stress <laughs> and stayed out of jail. As these first marshmallow kids now enter their 50s, Mr. Michelle and his colleagues are investigating whether the good delayers are richer also. Now, Michelle is an octogenarian and freshly wants to make sure that the nervous parents of the self-indulgent children don't find or don't miss his key finding. And this was his key finding. Whether you eat the marshmallow at age five isn't your destiny. Self-control can be taught. And have you given up on one of the areas that you're careening out of control in this morning? Like, I just, I don't know. I don't think it's going to work. Well, I want us to look at seven steps to self-control. Ed Walsh in The Battle Against the One More says this, As the Hebrews were promised the land, but had to take it by force one town at a time, So we are promised the gift of self-control, yet we also must take it by force. I love this quote because of this. We've been talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit living within you. It's a gift, all right? Self-control is a gift to you. But just as the Israelites were promised territory in what was the promised land, they still had to take it by force. So the fruit of the Spirit that dwells within you, whatever flavor it is that you're needing to see some strength in, you have to go after it. And that's why we've been trying in a practical way through the summer to look at what we can do with each of these flavors of the Spirit's work in our life to see them as character developments through our life. All right? And you have to be tenacious with this issue of self-control, whichever one you're struggling with this morning. And we won't have you you know, go around and sign up whatever area you're struggling in. But I guarantee all of us are struggling in some area with the issue of self-control. So steps to self-control. First one is this. Admit your problem. James 1, 14 through 16 says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. 
These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. You have to fess up. You have to own up. You can't uh, come up with the excuse, well, I'm sorry, that's, that's not a really a big problem with me anyway. I'm, I'm fine. Or everybody does it. Well, it doesn't really matter because... I don't know. It just doesn't. Whatever. Right? And you cop out, or, or maybe you're blaming somebody. It's like, well, if that hadn't happened to me in life, I wouldn't be this way. Or the devil made me do it even. I don't know what your blame game is, right? But you're, you're not owning up. Admit that you have a problem in this area. Oh, I could kick that habit any time. Really? Well, let's see you do it for a couple of weeks. You will never find self-control happening unless you come to the sober place of just owning up and saying, I have a problem. Maybe it's with food. Maybe it's with drink. Maybe it's with language. Maybe it's with laziness. Maybe it's with anger. Maybe it's with sex. Maybe it's with binge watching. I don't know. There's all kinds of things you're saying I can't control. Which one is it? Admit to it. Own up to it. And then move forward. The next step is this. Put your past behind you. Some of you will admit it. You've been carrying it on. It's a part of your identity. Uh, this is just, this is my addiction. This is my problem. I, I don't know. I, I've tried everything. I quit. And I'll never be able to. No. Let's stop right now and let's look realistically at the past of how the patterns of your life have gone forward. And let's make a truth confession according to Scripture. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 3.12, Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There is a discipline in your life that follows on the heel of admission that you have an issue that you want to see change to say, I need to let go of the past. The past is past. It's, uh, it's water under the bridge. God's covered it by his grace. Maybe today is a new and a fresh day. Stop beating yourself up and stop copping out, if I could use that phrase, because you've had tremendous failure in something before. And if you watch a little kid learn how to walk, right? They're crawling around before you know it. Well, I mean, you take a little baby first. They're always on their tummy. And then, oh, my God, they rolled over. Did you see they rolled over today? That was so cool. I saw them roll over. And then they start to get their hunches up, and they start to move their little legs. And before you know it, they're crawling. Oh, my goodness. Clear the room. They're, they're moving around now. And then they start to take some of those first steps after they've worked at pulling themselves up. And what happens after they take one or two steps? Boom! They're flat on their face. And what do they do? They try to maybe get back up again. Guess what? Every one of you walked in here today. Every one of you fell flat on your face when you were trying to learn to walk when you were little. But... Did you give up trying to walk? Did you say to yourself, I'll never walk. I'm just going to be a crawler my whole life. 
Other people can walk, but I can't do that. I'm just going to be a crawler. Some people are meant for walking. Some people aren't meant for walking. No. Don't allow the adversary to lie to your head, your mind. If there is an area of your life that you need self-control in, you've been given a gift. You need to now take it by force and say, no, I'm going to forget the past, even though I've failed many a times to be disciplined in that area, whether it's a moral issue, whether it's a, a pragmatic area in your life or, or a lifestyle, or whatever it may be, you don't have to be anchored in your past. So let it go. Choose to move forward and see how God can work through your life. Thomas Edison, you know, he invented a lot of things, right? Light bulb, other type of stuff. He once said, don't call it a failure. Call it an education. Now you know what doesn't work. You got it? So that's number two. Put your past behind you. Number three is this. Talk back to your feelings. Oh, yes. The good old feeling things. I don't feel like studying. I don't feel like working. I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like making my bed. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like, you know, doing that discipline of uh, workout, whatever it may be. Friends, feelings, simply put, are overrated and unreliable. Have you found that to be true in life? There's a lot of things we don't feel right about doing. And if you wait for your feelings to change before you try to take action, you'll be waiting a real long time. So don't give your feelings a lot of authority. And so you have to sort of talk to yourself. It's okay. How many of you talk to yourself? You don't have to admit it. But you talk to yourself. And you say to yourself, if you're on a diet, you're going into the kitchen. And you say to yourself as you're going into the kitchen, I really feel like I could eat a bunch of... And you have to say to yourself, I don't need to eat that. I'd, I walk into Costco to get a staple item, and I have to talk to myself. And as I'm walking in, I say to myself, I only need to get that one thing. I don't need anything else in there, especially the stuff that's on sale. It's a good deal, but I don't need it. I am trying to discipline our budget right now. And maybe you shouldn't do it out loud, but you can... Do it to yourself. You need to talk to your feelings. Like, I really feel like we need that. It, oh, that would be so nice to have. And No. Or, you know, it, I, could, I could have that extra scoop of ice cream, and I, I don't need that, right? I think it's a very important thing to teach ourselves. There's a difference between our wants and our needs. And every time, now and then I get, you know, the comment in my household, I need this, Dad. And I said, no, you don't need that. You want that. Just clarify. I don't mind you wanting that, but you don't need that. You have to sort of talk to yourself and make sure that you don't stumble into the same rut you've always been in. This is a great verse to memorize, by the way, this, these verses, if you've not had them memorized. It says this in Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. Friends, 
your feelings need to be submitted to the grace and the truth of God. The grace of God that has brought your salvation, the spirit that dwells within you, it teaches us to say no to ungodly things and to worldly passions. It teaches us, instructs us. His voice is there. If you move past your feelings and listen to his voice, it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And there's a purpose in all of that. Jesus is redeeming us a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. With God's supernatural help, you can master your moods. Do not allow your moods and your feelings to dictate the direction of your life and where you're out of control. You with me? Number four, believe you can change. Believe you can change. The way you think determines the way that you feel. And the way that you feel ends up determining your actions in so many ways. There's sort of a pattern that starts uh, on the heels of this. The person that says, I can't do it, and the person that says, I can do it, both are true. Because they've got themselves set in a trajectory of believing they can't, or set in a trajectory believing that they can Three times in 1 Peter, God reminds us to be clear-minded and self-controlled because a clear mind has a lot to do with self-control. And God gave us his power to change our habits when he gave us the power to choose our thoughts. Romans 12. You know what Romans 12 says? Does it say that you need uh, to work harder and have more willpower? Romans 12 says this. Do not Conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. More willpower! No, you're going to renew your mind. And your mindset has to move to an understanding and a belief that you can change. And you need to focus on some of the incredible promises of God. This is where the scripture comes into play. This book isn't just, oh, yeah, you just need to read your Bible more. This book will help you navigate in ways that you are out of control. You don't have a steering going wheel going on. Your brakes are out. Your car is going to wreck. Get yourself into the word of God. Look at some of his promises. Memorize them. Meditate on them. Let them sow deep belief in your soul. Here's one. 1 Corinthians 10:13. Oh, my feelings are driving me right now. I'm out of control. I can't stop. No, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. 1 Corinthians. Oh, yeah. 10:13. I remember this verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No temptation has overtaken you, Carrie, except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, Carrie. He will not let you, Carrie, be tempted. Beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, Carrie, he will provide, also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You are not prone to fall into those ways of sin and ungodliness just because, oh, that's just the way of, oh, it's always happened to me, I can't change, or, or this is the pressure, the peer pressure that's around me, or I'm just so weak in myself. No. The scriptures teach, it's a beautiful promise, that he's never going to allow a temptation to come your direction that's going to be too hard for you to stand up underneath. 
never puts you, he never puts more on you, if you will, than he puts in you to beat it. Here's another one, Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's a simple one, isn't it? Philippians 4.13, Jesus says in Mark 9.23, everything is possible for one who believes. So what's all this have to do? It has to do with your belief, your mindset, where your mind is, where your mind's directing yourself. All right? Number five, make yourself accountable. This one is not a fun one because this is going to take some boldness. That area that you're out of self-control in, that you need. And by the way, the whole idea of self-control, it's common unto all people. Why would Paul say self-control? That means there's something inside of us, our human nature. All of us have, ha- have been given it, if you will, that's in conflict, that's wrestling. And if you're wrestling with something that you need to follow through some of these steps to be able to take by force the fruit, the flavor, the spirit in your life. And one of these keys is to make yourself accountable to someone else. But we would prefer to suffer alone in our own sin and hiddenness. And sin does have a hiddenness to it. Well, let me just, um, I'm hopefully, I hopefully nobody will notice that I really do not have my act together. Right? Oh, yeah, I could overcome that. Inside you're going, oh, I maybe never could. Well, open up to someone and begin discussing it with someone, someone who can um, pray for you and encourage you and check in with you. Ecclesiastes says this, out of the message, 412. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-strand rope isn't easily snapped. And Galatians 6.2 says this, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, some of you have gone through that, and it's been very helpful for you in your life. Is this a key step in it? The buddy system. You need to find a buddy, somebody you can trust, somebody you can call. When you're, temptate, when you're tempted, when you're going to break down, when you're going to fall in some ways, you give them a call and you talk to them. And you sort of talk some things out. My son was on the phone for two hours outside the other night. I'm like, what were you out there saying? He said, two hours. I was just trying to talk somebody off the ledge. And it wasn't in a bad way. It was just he's having a conversation with somebody. You know, he's trying to encourage them. Hey, think of it this way. Don't think of it that way. It's going to be okay. All right? And you need individuals in your life who are able to do that with you. You have a problem. You confess it to God. You ask for his forgiveness. And now you want to ask for help. And then you begin praying, God, lead me to somebody who can be a buddy for me to be able to go on this journey. And just a few things when you pick your buddy. Uh, find somebody of the same gender. I think that's pretty important. You don't need to be tempted with some emotional drift in some directions. Find someone of the same gender. Find somebody who's dependable. Find somebody who uh, can, you know, in one sense, hold you accountable, that can be there for you. Find somebody that is good with confidentiality. You don't need to be worrying about this thing spreading broader. And find somebody who's willing to check up on you. You know, if you have somebody in your life that every now and then is going to ask you, say, you know, hey, Miner, how are you doing in that area? Miner's going to say, oh, I'm doing all right. And then you're going to think to, your, then you're going to think to yourself if you're Miner, well, I hope he doesn't have to ask me that again. But then, lo and behold, the guy shows back up another two weeks in your life and says, how are you doing in that area? Well, if you know you've got a buddy who's going to hold you accountable, 
it's going to help you have some more self-control than if you were just out there in the hiddenness of your own whacked-out, crazy, careening, wrecking car. All right? So find somebody that can hold you accountable. Number six, and this one makes sense, duh, avoid temptation. Avoid temptation. Stay clear from those things that are going to pull you down. If you don't want to get stung, then stay away from the bees. All right? Now, there's uh, so much in this that I could go into, but it, it, <sighs> Ephesians 4.27 says, do not give the devil a foothold. Um, do you know what a foothold is? You ever tried to bar somebody out of a door, right? Well, if you keep the door closed, if you keep it, the lock, I mean the handle latched, then you're pretty good. But the moment that the latch comes open and the door comes open, you're in trouble, right? And if that person can get a foot inside the door, you're probably going to lose the battle. Well, if the devil can get a foothold in your life in some area, then you're going to have a greater challenge and you're going to lose a battle. You need to avoid temptation and not let the devil have a foothold. And, um, you know, it's interesting when you're younger, and I'm not doing this just because the students are in here today, but it's, it's just the reality. I knew it was true in my life. You have a lot of hormones going when you're young. And if you've got a date scheduled and you don't have a plan, then your glands are going to take over your plans. You need to plan in advance to stay clear from temptation. Put together a schedule. This is what I'm going to do on a date. I'm going to stay clear from this. If you end up in the back seat, that is not a good time to put together a plan. All right? That's giving the devil a foothold. This is avoiding temptation. And Scripture's very clear about it. But don't we do, and whether it's that kind of analogy or you think of the area that you're tempted in in your life, how susceptible are you? Maybe marriage isn't going well for you right now. Maybe you feel alone in your marriage. But there is somebody else at work that, you know, seems to have given you some attention and you have nice conversations and they had some of the same problems you had in your marriage and you sort of have some affinity and you start to talk it out a little bit. And lo and behold, over the course of a week, a month or two months, you start to develop an emotional attachment to that person because they're affirming you and giving you some direct. You never had the thought that you would ever have, you know, any sexual temptation with that person. But before you know it, you've committed emotional adultery and emotional adultery can lead. It doesn't always lead to physical adultery, but you follow it back and go, where did it start from? You gave the devil a foothold because you made some stupid conversation, legitimate conversation, but stupid conversation with somebody that the adversary allowed, and they're a good person, to work their way emotionally into your life. And now you find yourself here. Avoid temptation. We're not good at this, folks. Because we like to justify it. Everybody does it. It's what's a part of my world. Sin is sin. It's missing the mark. Sin is clear in Scripture. Oh, yeah, there are some gray areas, but I tell you what, I could. Sin is clear. And it's not to ruin your life. Sin has its kicks. It's the kickbacks that cause a problem. If sin didn't have its fun, then you wouldn't be tempted by it, and neither would I. But sin has its enticements. You and I, we have to avoid temptation and stay clear from it. 
1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. Sometimes the temptation has to do with the people that you're around. You like them. You even love and care for them. But the way they're living their life right now is not healthy for you. And you will be tempted as you operate in those circles. And you can communicate it clear up. Here's the passage on 2 Timothy that ties in with the whole sexual temptation. Flee the evil desires of youth, youthful lusts, as it says in one translation, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Are you a person that finds yourself out of control a lot in your argumentative nature? Then stay clear of even news programs that are argumentative. (laughs) It's actually a discipline in my life right now because I don't need to banter back and forth. I like to look at things objectively truth. I like to be in the nose of news. But if you listen to opinion news all day long or in the evening, you get in this combative kind of nature. I just turn it off. Forget it. Right there. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. And sometimes I watch things and I go, that's a stupid argument. I don't have anybody to talk to but me because my wife definitely doesn't want to watch that kind of stuff. But I'm like, why am I getting caught up in this quarrel? And then it will bleed over into some other relationships I have. I'm just being vulnerable with you here this morning. That, that debating, that hard-nosed kind of attitude and trying to prove sight, that, that's something that God's saying to me recently, stay clear from that. So those are six But I want you to know this. Admit your problem. Put your past behind you. Talk back to your feelings. Believe you can change. Make yourself accountable. Avoid temptations. are all good. But there's challenge in it. And the challenge is this. Is that just saying no does not work. You have to say yes. And what you're saying yes to is the power of Christ dwelling within you. So finally, number seven, depend on Christ's power. True self-control is not about bringing ourselves under our own control, but under the power of Christ and his control. You know, the professor that did the marshmallow study, um, he preaches a gospel of distraction and, and distancing, Um, The children who sort of succeeded in not eating the cookie or the marshmallow, a lot of times they would frame it up. They would pretend that the marshmallow sitting there was nothing that they could eat that was edible or was like a piece of wood. In fact, there was one kid that he came back and he realized this kid's getting really strong with his marshmallow test. And he says, how are you resisting the temptation? And he says, well, I put a frame around it. It's a picture. And you can't eat a picture. Right? There's... Good truth to that. You have to contextualize it. You do something to distract yourself, to get away from it. I don't need that, need that, need that. But just that discipline of saying no is not going to get you there. You need to turn your eyes and your attention, not just have it as a diversion, not just frame up your out-of-control problem in a different way. You need to turn your eyes and your attention to the one who loves you, who dwells within you, and has given you the power through his spirit to resist the temptation, to get up, 
to make your bed, to turn off the TV, to stay clear from the refrigerator, to not engage in that argument, to not fall into that temptation in the backseat of a car, whatever it may be, that God is going to enable you through the power of the spirit that dwells within you to overcome it. And you need to call out to that power. You need to call out to it. Galatians five sixteen through 18. Now, what chapter is this? This is just a few verses before the fruit of the Spirit. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires, nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Notice it doesn't say that you're not going to have those desires. All of us will want to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. But what do we do with those desires? We have to choose in that conflict to take by force the fruit of the Spirit and allow the Spirit to lead in that moment. A lot of times we say, well, I just need to get my act together and then God can work in my life. Friends, you can't get your act together unless God is in your life. Is he in your life? Have you made a decision to let Jesus be the leader of your life? I'm telling you this. You need a power that's beyond this world to steer clear. And if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, I want to consider having, have you considered doing that? And if you have invited Jesus Christ into your life, are you letting him lead your life? Or have you told him, wait a second, I got this. I got this. I can do this on my own. I can stop that. I can climb this hill. I can take on this problem. Let him lead. There's an old song by a group called Love Song that says, I was in the front seat driving, and Jesus was in the back seat, and he changed things around, and he put Jesus in the driver's seat, and he's in the back seat now, and he's totally cool with it. I won't sing it for you because that will ruin the moment. (laughs) And the lyrics go together real smoothly. But I would listen to that song on an 8-track in my old days. Over and over again as a young person, I would say, I was sitting in the front seat thinking I could be the driver. Now, I'm in the back. Let the power of Jesus bring strength to change and to transform your life. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our own life. And then these two verses, Philippians 2.13, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the what power to do what pleases him. Colossians 1.29, to this end I labor, struggling with all of my energy. No, all of his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Like what John Piper says, this is a really valid point. I could spend more time sort of unpacking this. He says, godly self-control says no by faith in the superior power and pleasure of Christ. 
And he's referencing the Philippians 2.13 passage, which he says, and the power giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Jesus is pleased. He has pleasure in you when you let self-control steer you clear from temptation and head the course that you need. Maybe one of the motivations you can have is not just what this self-control is going to do for you in your life. But as an act of worship, as surely as we sang, as surely as the kids drew on the diagrams, their thoughts about worship on a passage, maybe an act of worship this week for you is to control your life that's out of control in maybe one or two areas. And by that, it's going to be pleasing to God. He's going to take pleasure and be motivated not just for the power that can bring change in your life, but being motivated for the pleasure and the worship and the wonder that you bring God. And friends, I'll just close by saying this. This is not only true for us as individuals. It's true for us corporately as a body of Christ. May we be controlled by the Spirit to bring beauty to Him in this fall season, in this ministry run. May we not be over all, all over the place just doing what we want to do here or there. May we come together in a controlled, disciplined manner as a body of Christ to serve His purposes. And may His power work in our life to bring pleasure to Him as many more people are reached. There are people right now that are hung over from last night because they're out of control in their life. There are people right now on a bed of depression in their homes, popping some pills because they don't know how to control what's going on. And God calls us to take the power of the Holy Spirit into their life, into those homes, to share it with them, to encourage them that there is a way out. Friends, we as Christians, we have a solution for the issue of not being in control. The anger and the rage which was associated with the Charlottesville issues and, and one group pitting against another group and, and, and the whole uh, wrongful, wrongful racism that, that's a part of our country and the world. We have a solution for that. And it's found through the power of Jesus Christ and His Spirit and His fruit. Every one of those fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We have those in Christ to offer as a gift to the world that's desperately looking for those. And so may our motivation not just be so we have a happier life. Sometimes I get weary with that as Christians. Oh, can I like a happier, more successful, funner life? Come to Jesus and everything will go well for you. Well, friends, we aren't called here to be self-serving in this world. We're called to serve the purposes of God in his kingdom. And his kingdom only advances as his reign advances in the hearts and lives of people. And his reign advances in the hearts and lives of people. He will unleash his fruit and the world will be different. Your home can be different. Your neighborhood can be different. Your community can be different. And it brings worship and pleasure to God. May we as a body... Joined together, not as some, oh, that was a nice little how-to talk on self-control. But may we see it as an act of beautiful surrender and worship to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we not be individuals or families that are out of control. May we not be a church that's out of control. And may we lead a solution for a world that sometimes is out of control. The answer is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Joe, bring your worship team. Let me close in prayers before we sing.